This morning, we'll be taking a look at a number of different passages, but uh, you can go on and get ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, as we'll look at the end of that chapter for just a moment. Uh, We have been in a series uh, entitled Here After, talking about living here and then what happens after. And uh, we've talked about uh, the moment we die, we've talked about heaven, we've talked about hell. And so let me just give you a summary and get you caught up. Some of you, this may be the first time that you've joined us on this series. And for the rest of us, it's a nice refresher over here. So here's our summary. The first point is that everyone will live forever. Everyone will live forever. So uh, we will live for eternity. Every person will die, but then they will live for eternity. Number two is this. Your destination will either be in the presence of God in heaven or in torment in hell. And we've talked about uh, how the Bible talks about both of these. And that as soon as we die, we step in either the presence of God or we will step in to uh, Hades or hell, a separation from God. Number three is this. Your arrival is immediate. There is no purgatory. There is no soul sleep. Uh, there's no kind of just hanging out wondering what's going to happen. Uh, immediately, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So automatically, we uh, make it to that destination. But number four is this, and that is, the good news is, your destination is your choice. This is something that you get to choose God has provided the grace gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's nothing that we have to convince people because sin just means I've done something wrong against God and against others. And we know we've all done that. But there are consequences to that because we serve a holy God. And when we sin, we cannot come in the presence of a holy God. And we surely can't come into heaven in the midst of our sins because heaven wouldn't be heaven if we had sin and all the trash and the baggage that we bring with us. So something has to happen with those sins. There has to be a payment that is made. And and God had told us that that the payment for sin or the wages of sin is death. And that there has to be death for sin. And so what God did was he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, went to a cross voluntarily and gave of himself to be our sacrifice for our sins. And when his blood was shed, it was blood that was shed to cover the sins of all the world, and that's you and me. And then three days later, after he died, he was raised from the dead, conquered sin, conquered death, and then provides with us this amazing gift of what we call grace. To where he says, if you accept that payment and you ask Christ to come into your life and to to be the master and the Lord of your life and you direct the focus of your life with him, he says, you become adopted into the family of God and you live for him here on earth. And when you die, last breath on earth, first breath in heaven, you spend eternity with him. But if you reject that and say, no, I want to live in my own sin and I want to take my own chances then when you die, you'll stand before a holy God and your sins will not allow you to come into heaven and you will spend eternity in a place that the Bible calls hell. And so it's our choice. And so it's my hope today as we walk through this message that you'll be thinking about that, thinking about the destinations and know that that ball's in your court. And it's our hope and prayer that you would make that decision to receive Christ as your Savior, not just to give you life insurance and and fire insurance, but that you would receive him because he loves you that much that he would die for your sins. 
and to see what it would like to come into a relationship with our Creator God. And so this is, uh, this is our summary. But we put together a timeline. And let me just show you a timeline so we can follow where we are. First thing will happen, one day you will die and I will die. When we die, the very next thing is, is that we will go into, if you're a believer, this is talk about believe, you will go into what we call present heaven presently what heaven is like, which means you come right into the relationship with God. Then second of all, we look forward to that time for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Second coming of Jesus Christ. In a couple weeks, I'll be preaching on this, and I'll give you the exact date, so you want to be sure you'll be here uh, for that. It'd be incredible. Uh, But second coming of Christ is that when Jesus comes back, it says that when he comes back, then we will get our resurrected bodies. We're going to read about this and talk about this for just a moment. So we will get our resurrected body. At that time, then there'll be this battle called Armageddon, the battle of all battles. And then Jesus will set up the millennium, this thousand-year reign. And at the end of that thousand-year reign, you then will have what's called the great white throne judgment. And at the great white throne judgment, it says in the Bible, uh, at the end of Revelation chapter 20, that he says, that then death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. And then it says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this is what we want to focus on today. We want to focus on the resurrected body and what does this mean, a new heaven and a new earth. Let me just give you one definition from our summary, and that is the present heaven. When we die, we step into the presence of God. Present heaven is a temporary dwelling place in the presence of God, a waiting place until the return of Jesus Christ and our bodily resurrection. I want you to understand, this does not mean that we're just floating around with nothing and we're just hanging out waiting for something to happen. No, we're in the presence of God. And there are things that are going on that we will be doing. But yet, it's not the final. The final thing to happen is for us to get our resurrected body and then we are in the new heaven and the new earth. So whenever you die, you're right in the presence of God, and it is an incredible beyond the imagination experience that is happening right there. But it's what we call present heaven, because one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But the first thing is, is we need to get our resurrected bodies. And when Jesus comes back, then we will get our resurrection bodies. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49 uh, through 55, let's read this passage and get an idea about resurrection body. In verse 49, it says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Our perishable, dying, decaying bodies cannot inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means we shall not all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the imperishable puts on the, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He says that when that second coming comes, when Jesus calls, 
We who are alive at that time, we will go to meet him in the air. And at that time, we get a different body, a resurrected body. For those who've already died and your body's been buried here, it says that that body will be raised and it will come and you will have a new resurrection body, an imperishable physical body that will be seen in the sight of God as very good just like it was at the first creation. And this resurrection body will function to fulfill the purposes for which God originally placed men and women on this earth to do. Now, just when you think about that, that we will have physical bodies for eternity, that is how we are wired. I, I don't believe anybody wants to grow up to be a ghost. You know, when you, when you talk about heaven and if people think we're going to be some disembodied spirit floating around for eternity, I've not met one person that says, that really sounds fun to me. It doesn't. God created us as physical beings. And so when he created us as physical beings, he created us to desire physical bodies. And he planned that we would have bodies that would exist for eternity. And physical, imperishable bodies that can worship God in community with others. And he said, well, so what is this resurrected body going to look like? Well, the best model we have is Jesus. Jesus died and was raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead and he appeared to his disciples and 500 others, he appeared to them with a resurrected body. So what do we learn from his resurrected body? Let's just write some notes down. This will get you ready and hope to get you fired up. Number one, you will maintain the same personal identity and personality. You say, man, I've you know, I don't have any personality. Well, you probably won't have any in heaven either. That's great. But, uh, <clears throat> but for some of you, we'll work with you on that. We got all eternity. I right, work with us on that. Work with me. But you're going to maintain the same personal identity and the same personality. Uh, when you uh, take a look in, at what Scripture says in Luke 24, uh, 36 through 40, it is when he appeared before his disciples after he had risen from the dead. And after he'd risen from the dead, he came and he appeared to them and he began to talk to them and they knew exactly who he was. In Luke chapter 24, it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He said, I'm not spirit. I'm flesh and bone. Come, touch my hands. Uh, Later he told Thomas, put your hand in my side. It is that we maintain the same personal identity and the same personality. In John 20, 20, he says he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. They will know that. Number two is this. There will be a visual continuity between physical and resurrected body. There will be a visual continuity between physical and resurrected body. He said, "Uh uh-oh, hey, you better get in shape before you die, okay? No, I'm saying a visual continuity between physical and resurrected body means that people will know who you are. They will know who you are. Jesus said in John 2, 19, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. When he made that statement, John later says he was talking about his body, that he would die and that he would be buried, and three days later he would be raised from the dead. He says, I will raise this body again in three days. The body that rose is the body that was destroyed. There's a one-to-one correspondence between the body of Christ that died and the body 
that rose, okay? So there's a visual continuity on there. Now, Joni Erickson Tata, we've shared her story before. As a 17-year-old, she had a diving accident and became a quadriplegic. And she made this statement. She says, somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand when you contrast atrophied, useless legs against splendorous, resurrected legs. I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven, and then you said parentheses, and why not, the image I will see will be unmistakably Johnny, although a much better and brighter Johnny. We will have that visual continuity so people will know and we will know each other. Number three, we will be able to eat, walk, and talk. Amen? Amen. Especially to number one. Able to eat, walk, and talk. These are physical bodies, not just some spirit floating around to where if you put food in it, it'd fall out. These are bodies. You say, well, how do you know? Well, in Luke chapter 24, again, after he shared his disciples, and uh, he says this in verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, they're still sitting there thinking, you know, we just saw him killed three days ago, and there's still this little bit of disbelief. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. I just got to tell you right now, if there's any question that he's not Southern Baptist, this is it right here. I mean, the first meeting they went, it was a potluck supper. And, uh, and Jesus came, and, and here he's been uh, in the grave for three days. He's raised from the dead. He's standing before his disciples. They're dumbfounded. He says, these are my hands. These are my feet. Have you got something to eat? I mean, how much profound can it be right there? There's going to be food in heaven. He ate. Later on in John, he cooked a breakfast for them out there when they were fishing. So what it means is when we have these resurrected bodies, we're going to eat, we're going to walk, we're going to talk, okay? Now, let me tell you number four. We will have all five senses stretched to their glorious limits. We will have all five senses stretched to their glorious limits. Jesus had all five senses. He could talk. He could see, he could hear, he could smell, and he could taste. Have you ever gotten to a point where you couldn't smell anything, couldn't taste anything? Last thing you wanted was food. He says, I want food. He can taste, he can smell. Now, this is something you need to understand. The world that we're living in right now is a world that's been corrupted by sin because of the curse, because of sin. All creation has been corrupted. And so whenever we go to eat food, we are eating food that is under the curse, and we're tasting it in our mouth with taste buds that are under the curse. I just stay with you for just a moment. What will it be like in heaven when we will be eating food that's not under the curse? And we'll be tasting it with taste buds that are not under the curse. It will be incredible. I want you to think about the best thing that you could ever put into your mouth, the thing that you just love more than anything. For some, it could be a big old steak that you'd really love. For the vegans, it could be a piece of lettuce that you say, oh, I just can't wait to get another piece of lettuce. And, and so you take whatever that is, whatever that is that you just love, and you think, this is the best I've ever had. Hey, brother, sister, isn't I close to the way it's going to taste up in heaven? 
And that kind of fires me up right there. There's going to be eating all the time they talk about it here. We talk about uh, different banquets and feasts that are happening. We're going to be eating up in heaven. But the whole senses will be alive because, again, there's no curse uh, of sin that is on us. Number five, there's a continuity in relational histories. A continuity in relational histories. What that means is that you will continue with the relationships that you have in heaven. There are people that you will know. And you'll know that. When Jesus came, he knew Mary Magdalene. When he came back, he knew Thomas and he talked to him. He knew Peter. He knew, he knew that Peter had denied him. All of that history was there with him. And we'll still have history with those people. We will know who's a family member, who's not a family member. Those that believe that you were closest to, that have got memories that you will share, you'll be able to share those memories again. There is a continuity in relational histories. And number six, they'll be a similar in look but superior in ability. We'll be similar in look. That means that it will be, it will be bodies that we're accustomed to seeing, but it'll be superior in ability. And the very last thing is that it'll be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Our bodies will be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Resurrected bodies. The resurrected bodies, there is the nature of this resurrected life that we have that's already been previewed in Jesus Christ. And as you read through what he was like while he was here after the resurrection, a lot of those qualities we can take and get an understanding as to these resurrected bodies that we will get and bodies that will be imperishable that will last through eternity. So it says we get our resurrected bodies and then there will come that day when there's a new earth and a new heaven. Revelation 21.1 says this. It says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Talk to you a little bit about a new earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? In the beginning, he created this physical world and he put people in this world with physical bodies and he said it was good and he said it was very good. So the physical is not bad. And you will come with some people will disagree and they feel that you've got to separate the physical from the spiritual. The spiritual is good and the physical is bad. No, it started out that the physical was good. God created it perfect. But what happened was is that Satan tempted Adam and Eve and when they sinned, sin entered the world. And then all of creation was corrupted by sin. All of the physical earth and all that was in it was distorted by sin. This is not the way God created it. Whatever we see that we see this is so beautiful, it probably doesn't pale. It pales in comparison to the way God originally created it. And he said he created a perfect physical creation. But because of sin and because of Satan tempting them and them buying into that, it's corrupted our whole world. And all creation is longing for there to be a new earth. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22 Paul is writing and he's talking about creation. He says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. That's the second coming, the judgment. He says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Against its will, the earth itself 
didn't want the curse to come. It's man, we sin. And because we sin, the curse came. And it says that all creation has been fallen under this curse. It says, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. There will come that day where there will no longer be death and decay here on this earth. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What Paul is saying is that all creation is saying, they're looking, all creation, the earth itself is looking forward to that time when there is no curse, no longer under a bondage of, of decay. And they're hoping that one day this world will be liberated, that God will one day set the created world free from the decay that is caused by the fall of human beings in sin. And when God says there will be a a new earth, what he is saying is, I will reverse the curse. I will reverse the curse. We say, hey, we've seen reverse the curse, right? It was this fall. Chicago Cubs. The Cubs. The Chicago Cubs had not won a World Series since 1908. And in 1945, the legend of the curse began. Chicago Cubs were playing in a World Series. They were playing against the Detroit Tigers. The Cubs were leading two to one in games and they were playing in game four. There was a man by the name of Billy Sianus who had a billy goat. And he had his own tavern called the Billy Goat Tavern, and he brought his Billy Goat by the name of Murphy, even bought a ticket for him to come to sit at the game with him. And he put a, like a blanket over him, a banner, and it says, we got Detroit's goat. We got their goat. He was all excited. Well, the ushers came to him and said, you can't bring a goat into the stadium. Even P.K. Wrigley, the owner of the Cubs, said, no goats allowed. And so the usher picked him up and ushered them out of the game, he and his goat. And when they ushered him out, he made this famous statement. He says, them cubs, they ain't going to win no more. And the curse was born. Because although they were leading in that game, they ended up losing game four, and they went to seven games, and they lost the seventh game of the World Series. And as they lost the seventh game of the World Series, that was 1945, for 70 years, they never made it to the World Series. And every Chicago Cubs fan says, it's the curse. And they tried all kinds of things to reverse the curse. But it never happened until 2016. And then in 2016, they got the opportunity. They made it into the World Series. And lo and behold, they played Cleveland Indians. They were down three games to one. And then they began to come back. It was three games to two, three games to three. They went to the seventh game. It went 10 innings. And they won in 10 innings. And the curse was reversed. And people all over the world were celebrating the curse was reversed. Can I tell you something? That was pretty exciting. It is nothing compared to what creation is going to do when the curse is reversed. When God comes to creation and he says, I'm getting ready to renew you. And I'm going to restore you. Now, some will say, well, I hold it, hold it. I thought that the Bible said that this whole world's just going to blow up. And then God's going to start all over. In fact, there's a verse of scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter 3.10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
Now, some later manuscripts had the word burned, and they will be burned. The best word is the word exposed. This word exposed, the Greek word exposed, means to be laid bare. It means you're laid bare so everyone can see it. And it's like it represents the surface things of the earth. And that what God is going to do is he's going to come and take the surface things of this earth, and he is going to purify it. He is going to renew it. He's going to restore it. It is going to be a resurrection, not a destruction. This world's not going to blow up. What God is going to do is he is going to restore it. The earth will not be destroyed, but it will be renewed and restored. So when you think about the new earth, don't think about uh, that it is something that is going to be destroyed, but it is going to be renewed and is going to be restored. Now, I take that passage, and that's one of the things I look at, but let me tell you the other reason. The main reason I believe it will be a restoration and that the present earth will not be destroyed is because Satan is not going to get the last word. He is not going to say that God had this great plan for physical creation on planet earth and then that Satan himself thwarted his plan for all eternity. And because of what Satan did and we bought into the lie and we sinned that all of a sudden God says, there's nothing I can do about that plan. I just got to destroy it all, blow it up and start it over. No, he's not going to let Satan have the last word. God's going to have the last word. And though all these things have been marred and distorted by sin, God will not completely destroy the physical world and acknowledge that sin had frustrated and defeated his purposes. He is going to perfect the entire creation, bring it into harmony with the purposes for which he originally created it. See, what's going to happen is that there'll come that day that when Satan and death and Hades, when they are thrown into the lake of fire, then all of a sudden God's going to turn his attention to the earth and he's going to undo all Satan's destructive work and he will do the grandest HGTV fixer-upper ever done in all of creation. He may even ask Chip and Joanna to help him out. I just don't know. But the new earth, an entirely renewed creation, and we will live there on that new earth. So let's go to the new heaven, to the new heaven. Talks about a new heaven. Talks about it in Revelation 21 and also in 22. And if I could give you just a definition of, of a general definition of heaven, it is this. Heaven is God's central dwelling place where he lives with angels and his people. It's where God most fully reveals his glory. It's God's central dwelling place. It's where the throne of God is. And today it's where the angels surround him and those who've gone before him are there with God in heaven. And it's where he most fully reveals his glory. This is heaven. And so in Revelation chapter 21, and um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation 21 because as uh, we come kind of to our last points here, it will be focused right here on 21 and 22. In Revelation chapter 21, at the first verse, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, I didn't know if I was going to have time to do this, but I know i got to throw it in because I've never mentioned the thing, and the sea shall be no more. That has frustrated so many people and myself, thinking there's no more beach, no more ocean. How can there be a heaven with no beach, no ocean? And uh, I did read one person who had a different take on this, saying that during those days, the sea was one of the scariest places to be. 
and that um, uh, between the waves and the sea creatures and everything else, it was dangerous for people and, and it represented danger. And so when he says there's no sea, then one thought is just saying that there's no more dangers. There's no more dangers like that. Some have even said that uh, before the great flood with Noah that the continents were all connected and that when the flood happened, it separated the continents and separated people and that it is saying that, that no longer that our people, there will be nothing that will separate, uh, separate people. Uh, but yet, you think about all the life that's in the ocean and all that God created there. So it seems like that there would be. I don't know, okay? I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to choose the other destination because I'm not sure if there's a sea. But this was a good explanation someone gave <laughs> that I'm hanging on to because, uh, you know, I mean, come on, God. You did a great job with the ocean. Let's go. Uh, so we will see. But look what verse 2 says. He says, and I saw the holy city. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Got this picture. The new Jerusalem, city in heaven, coming down to the new earth. Now, I want you to turn the page to Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. He says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. This is the same city, city of Jerusalem. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, the city. It will be in the city. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, I want you to stay with me. Those two Patrick read said, there will be this new city, new Jerusalem, that will come from heaven. God said in chapter 21, and also here, that I will now dwell with my people. I will dwell with my people. If God's people are going to be on the new earth, and the new city of Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven, and it says that his throne is in the new city, but yet he's going to dwell with the people, then it would seem logical that the new city would be there on earth and God would be dwelling on earth with people. So actuality, the new heaven is going to be on the new earth. And the new earth is the new heaven. I don't walk out of here saying and, and, and say, oh, earth is heaven and uh, this is wonderful here. No, no, this is... At the end of time, after Satan is thrown apart, is thrown down a lake of fire, when God does the resurrection of a new earth and the new heaven, he puts it together because he will be dwelling with his people. And so we will be living on a new earth with resurrected bodies in the presence of God and will live there for eternity. The new earth is a new heaven because it will be God's dwelling place. Because this is going to be God's dwelling place. This is where he will be. 
I like what one author said. He says, so actually when you die, you get a round-trip ticket. If you're a believer, you live on earth, you die, you go to heaven, to the present heaven, and then later on in, we're going to circle back around and come back to a new earth. So it's like you get a, get a round-trip ticket. Now, if yours is punched one way, it's not a good sign. Okay. Um, so that's what you're thinking is going to happen. New heaven, new earth, together, and this is where God will dwell. But what, whenever, God, whenever God discloses this in chapters 21 and 22, everything that he talks about is a city of great beauty, of great joy, and an endless dynamic of joy. Let me just cover this new Jerusalem and just tell you what it will be like, this city of God, this city of, of, of where uh, we'll be here on heaven and a part of our existence here on this new earth and the new heaven. Number one, the new Jerusalem is a holy city. It is a holy city. It calls it the holy city of Jerusalem, and it says nothing unclean shall enter it. Nothing unclean shall enter it. It is a holy city, no evil, nothing unclean. Number two, it is a beauty beyond description, a beauty beyond description. You know, we read in there about all the, the, the beautiful uh, stones, and it, it talks about the pearly gates, talks about the streets of gold, and all of those things are, are great, and you'll see that in chapter 21. But the best description that I like is found in verse 2, and it says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, women, you can be the most beautiful woman for all of your life, but there's something special about that day when you got married and you came walking down that aisle to get joined with that husband. That was about the most beautiful sight there is. And husbands, you better be nodding in agreement uh, on that. And, uh, and you get prettier as you go through life and all those great things. But there's something special about that day. Something special about that day. Because you, you've waited for this and, and you, you've, you're, you're fixed up for it and you're just loving it. And when you come walking down and, and from a husband's standpoint, this is the woman you want to spend the rest of your life with. And, and as you see her begin to walk down there and just that beauty and you're so excited about it, then it's just, that's what it says this new city of Jerusalem is. It's like a bride that's adorned for her husband, you know. And um, I tell Janice, she knew I was a talker anyway, but when she walked down the aisle, all I kept saying during the ceremony is, God, you're so pretty. You're so pretty. You're so pretty. <laughs> I said, you're beautiful. And, and, and then when I do weddings, I just love to look at the face of, of the groom here as, as she starts walking down there. This city of Jerusalem, you try to picture in your mind how beautiful something is, it's beyond your imagination of what it's going to be like. Number three, it says here that God will wipe away every tear. God will wipe away every tear. Now, it's interesting is that I've read two different uh, thoughts on that, which I really like. First of all, it's not a memory wipe, but you'll see the perspective of God. It's not a memory wipe, but you see the perspective of God. And the reason of that, because if you say, if it's a memory wipe, it means I don't remember anything about relationships or people or things that ever happened on earth. It says, but you'll see the perspective of God. C.S. Lewis said, in heaven, we won't ask why. Instead, we will say, of course. We won't ask why. We will say, of course. 
Because we'll see things from God's perspective. They'll wipe away the tears. But the second thing is this. We'll be wiping away the causes of the tears. There's no sin. There's no sorrow. There's no death. So when he says he wipes away all the tears, he wipes away all the things that causes tears. Sin, sorrow, death. Which I believe that there will be some tears in heaven. I believe it will be tears of joy. Uh, Sometimes I've laughed so hard that I've cried. I think there'll be tears of joy. I think joyous things will happen. I think when we come into the presence of God and the presence of Jesus, we'll, we'll shed tears. But he's talking about here the causes of tears such as sin, sorrow, death. Those will be wiped away. Number four, in this city of Jerusalem, it means that the nations will be living in peace. It talks about that the nations will be living in peace. So there will be peace over all the world, all the nations, different nationalities, all getting together. And number five is this, and that is since it is a city, it means life, activity, and interest in people. The hustle and bustle of the city, life, activity, people have interest, there are people involved. Life in heaven will involve continuing activities and relationships that will contribute to the glory of God. This is not just a static experience to where we go up to heaven and say, okay, so every day is just going to be a church service. No, not at all. We will have things to do. There's activity, there's interest, there's people in there. And that takes us to the sixth point, and that is we will have productive, purposeful work and use our skills and talents to serve God. We will have productive, purposeful work and use our skills and talents to serve God. In chapter 22, verse 3, it says that we will be the servants of God. We'll be the servants of God. That's who we work for. That'll be our our master there. We will be serving him. We will have purposeful activity. We'll be serving in the fullest expression of the capacity that God has given us. And we'll use that giftedness that he's placed on us. There's no haven of inactivity where inhabitants just draw unemployment benefits. We will all have something to do. You're not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Rest for eternity. Take the eternity off. Not at all. This is what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 25, 21, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So when we get into this new earth, there's going to be activity. There's going to be work. There are things we're gifted in. There are things we have talents in. And we'll be putting it into purposeful activity that will stretch our minds and our imagination. We'll continue to be learning more about the wonders of God, and he's going to continue to stretch us more and more. You know, as growing up in this generation, technology has changed so much in such a short amount of time. And, uh, and, and when we begin to think about those things, we say, wow, can it be even better than that? It's going to be beyond that. It's going to be beyond. And so there'll be purposeful things that we will do. It'll be fulfilling responsibilities. We'll expend energy unhindered. There won't be decay. There won't be fatigue. We set goals. We devise plans. We share ideas. And we'll have some great days at work. You think about your best day at work. You think about the best day at work that you've ever had. It's what we call the A-team moment. The A-team moment when uh, you finish it up today and you say, Man, I love it when a plan comes together. But you know what that means? Now, there will not be cigars in heaven, so don't go that far with the illustration, all right? When George Ford pull out the cigar or whatever, but he'd say, hey, I love it when a plan comes together. That's a great day. Just think that we're going to be doing work for our Lord, 
gifted in the way that we are gifted with incredible capacities and, and, and to see a joy out of the things that we do and to see purpose and meaning in what we do. That's the new heaven. That's the new earth. That's what will be happening. And so whenever this takes place, there will be such an exciting time of us with our resurrected bodies doing this work for the Lord. But the best thing is the last thing. And that is that we will see God's face. We will see God's face. It says in verse 22, excuse me, chapter 22, verse 4. It says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. They will see his face. Now, God told us early on in the book of Exodus that no one can see the face of God and live. And when Moses wanted to see him, he says, I can just show you a little bit of the backside. He is so glorious that we can't even look into the face of God. But it does say that in heaven we will see his face. We will be able to endure the holiness and the power in the presence of God and, and the power of God's glory. And we will live continuously in the atmosphere of God's glory. And when we look into the face of our Lord and he looks back at us with infinite love, we will see in him the fulfillment of everything that we know to be good and right and desirable in the universe. In the face of God, we'll see the fulfillment of all the longings that we have ever had. When we look into the face of God, we will see perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy. We will know truth, we'll know justice, we'll see holiness, we'll see wisdom, we'll see goodness, we'll see power, we'll see beauty. We get to see the face of God. And out of everything else that I have said, whether it be the sumptuous food or the great jobs that we have, they will pale in comparison to be able to see God face to face and to come into the presence of pure love mercy, goodness, graciousness. It's just going to be beyond explanation. And that's what he has for us. I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 27, 4, when he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The psalmist said, what I would love to do more than anything is just to be there in the presence of God every day of my life. Well, folks, I got great news for us. And that is one day when we step out of this world, we step into eternity. We'll be right there in the presence of God and we'll be in the presence of God for eternity. And when in his time that the final judgment takes place, and death and Hades and sin and Satan are all cast into the lake of fire. Then God creates, forms, restores, renews this new earth. And heaven comes down and new earth, new heaven and we, and new heaven. And we are dwelling in the presence of God for all eternity. Continuing to grow and to learn about the wondrous nature of the God that we serve. And when you think about all of that. And you say, whoa, that's just a huge picture of God. And then to think that he loved you and me so much that he was willing to send his own son, who he had had perfect fellowship with 
since the beginning of time. He's been here forever, God the Father, God Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But yet he was willing to send him to earth to kind of put up in this sin-corrupted society with all the temptations that we have and all the people that were saying bad things about him and all the people that misunderstood him and, and put up with, with all that crud for 33 years. But in the midst of that, he never sinned, and he displayed what love was all about, showed us who God was, taught about who God was, encouraged people to come and follow him, poured his life into 12 men, and then voluntarily went to the cross. Because when he was arrested and they thought, hey, hey, we got you right here. He says, listen, right now, he says, you don't have any power. I could just call on my father and he could send legions of angels and he'd be cleaning house right now. But I'm not. Because this is why I came. is to suffer and to die and to spill my blood to pay the penalty for our sins, for what we did. And he loved us that much. And then three days later, God raised his son from the dead. When he did that, he says, you know, everything this, my son's been saying all these years, I just validated it. He is the son of God. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And God is reaching out to you and saying, I want you to come into my family. I want to adopt you. I want you to be born again. I want you to be a part of my family. And I want you to live on this earth. I want you to glorify me in the life that you live. And I want to give you the greatest life possible here on this earth, serving me, receiving the incredible benefits of knowing that I am serving our God, the creator who loves me. And then when your time on earth ends and this old body of yours, decayed, wears out, perishable body, you will come straight into my presence and we will spend eternity forever. And guess what? One day, I'm going to give you a new body and it's going to be a resurrected body. And I'm going back to Genesis 1 when I was creating male and female and it was very good and you will have that body and you will be imperishable and you will live for eternity. Wow. That's the God we serve. And he gives us a choice. Do you want to accept everything that I just said? Or do you want to say, nah, I just don't think I want to do that. Wow. I strongly encourage you to make that decision and to receive him and receive him today. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. There's some of you that are here today that you've never made that decision for Christ. And what I want to ask you to do is that if you're ready to make that, I want to encourage you to pray and ask him to enter into your life. And you can say a, a prayer in your own heart. It doesn't have to be any special words, but let me just give you a direction of that prayer. If that's your desire today, I'd want you right now, just between you and the Lord, to say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you loved me and died for my sins. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, save me from sin, and let me be a part of your family. And Lord, I thank you for answering my prayer, and I thank you for the promise of heaven to spend eternity with you. Amen.